what we've been trying to do over this time is really make some connections that are going to be important to our ability to follow the Scripture, our ability for it to be important in our life. And, and so the first thing we want to get our, our, our arms around is this idea that Scripture is truth. God calls it truth. And, and it is the truth he's given us that reflects him, that identifies with him, and makes our life a part of what he is doing. But the second piece to that is we decide whether truth has authority in our life. For me, if I'm a smoker, and if I believe smoking is bad for me, I can believe it's bad for me. I can believe with all my being that smoking is bad for me. It's bad for my health. But if I don't give that truth authority, that truth does not help me. That truth doesn't serve me. It just sits there as information. And what God challenges us is not only does he give us truth that can change and transform our lives, but that truth, our part is to give that truth authority in our lives. So as we looked at the scripture, uh, we, we kind of broke it down to these three pieces that scripture reveals God's intentions. We'll go into more detail on that in a moment, but it really reveals his attitude towards humanity. It reveals his, his, uh, uh, his purpose toward humanity, what he is trying to do. It debunks this reality that God is here to kill you, that God is here to whip you in line, that God is here to punish you, that God is here to judge you. The scripture takes us far away from that thinking and introduces us to his real intentions that he loves you unconditionally, that he is long-suffering with you and I, that he has a plan and a way that will really work to restore us in right relationship. So that, that big picture, the scripture reveals God's intentions. The scripture reveals your true identity. It reveals your uh, the value that you have in God's eyes and the value that you have to the world. It's revealed there. It reveals the fact that you have a purpose. So it's revealing all these things about God. It's revealing all these things about you and I. And for those of us who have many mistakes in our life, maybe many bad choices, many regrets, what it says is that has not taken away your value in God's eyes as a human being. It has not removed your value. Now, it's important for you to get that. It's important for you to embrace that. When you're, when you're screwing up in your life, it's important for you to embrace that. It's important to never let that go. Here's why. If you let it go for you, you will let it go for others. If you let that reality go for you, then it is up to be changed when it comes to others. And it means that there will come a time when your spouse, when your friend, when your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter, uh, your, your, the person on the other side of, of a line in a war is gonna somehow be someone that God is rejecting. And that's never true. So, it reveals the place of humanity, and it reveals the truth about living. Whether we like to embrace God's way of living, God says it's his, and it's not really negotiable. 
It, it doesn't become more enlightened. It's not a, a, a better and a newer way of being God today from five years ago. So we need to know this about God's word. We need to know that it has the power to tell you the right way to go, the way that's gonna serve your soul, the way that you will finish well. It has the power to reveal God. It has the power to reveal yourself. And then if we wanna be serious about God's truth, then in Isaiah 55, it says, every word I've spoken, it will accomplish what I desire. So it really stands to tell you what God has spoken What he desires needs to be important to us, or we will find we're moving against God, no matter how good or how interesting it might look. Jesus takes it one step further in Matthew 24, and he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but these words will not pass away. So they have an eternal quality. They have an absolute quality. They have a revelatory quality. They reveal and they will come true. That's what makes them all of a sudden really important. And to dismiss God's word as subjective, to dismiss it as optional, to dismiss it as interesting, as philosophical, as just theoretical or theological, is to dismiss reality. It's to say to reality, you are relative. I could go in a direction of Einstein right there, but I'm not. But it it would be cool to do that. Truth is challenged in our world. It's challenged, first and foremost, by the hardness of our heart. By the places that we really are estranged from God. By our greed, by our lust, our anger, our rejection, our rebellion, our unbelief, it all challenges truth. It comes up against truth. Now, when your rebellion, when your greed, when your attitude, when your hard heart, when all of these things, when they come up against truth, then the question is, which one will you give authority to? That's the one that's going to win. Will my rebellion win against God's truth? Will my greed win against God's truth? Will my own desires win against God's truth? That will determine what truth I am following. It's either a truth of God or it's a truth I'm creating. Satan is also out to do the very same work in us. And the world itself is a place that will introduce Lots of different truths. It'll give you lots of options. Um, Years ago, I heard this. I hope it's a joke, but it it doesn't have to be. Uh, This guy was uh, interviewing people to be an accountant for his company, and he would ask him a question, and the question was simple, what is two plus two? Uh, The first applicant said it's four. The second applicant said it's four. The third applicant leaned forward and said, what do you want it to be? That's the one he hired. Can you make it what I want it to be?
Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, if you believe him, that's the truth piece. And if you hold to it, that's giving the authority to the truth. That's acting upon it. Then you're my disciple. That's John 8, 30, uh, 31 and 32. If, if you embrace the truth as truth, if you believe smoking is bad for your health and you act upon that, then it has power in you. And you've given that authority. Jesus says, if you see the truth, you understand it, and you're calling it truth, and you act upon that truth, then you are my disciple. Put another way. Then you are really following me. I can read my Bible. I can know every word of my Bible. I can wrestle with you over the nuances of the tense of verbs. I can do all that stuff. But you see, none of that is following Jesus. The question is, what are you doing with the truth? When we do this, whatever truth you use, whatever you're allowing to be truth in your life, it is molding your character. It is creating your identity. It's adding on and building to your identity. It's establishing the values that you will honor for your life. It's doing all these things. You don't have to ask it to do it. It is going to do it. It's going to happen. When you get to the end of your days, someone will be able to look at your life and know your truth. It establishes what is important. I think so often we see the truth as right and wrong, do's and don'ts. But so often, if you follow God, you will find that truth is something quite different. Truth is going to be about being and about doing. I shared years ago about a guy named Winky Prattney. Anybody ever heard that name? That's a pretty strange name, isn't it? You know, I always thought if my name was Winky Prattney in my school, I would have gotten beat up. But, but he got away with it, it seems. He was a Christian in high school. He was a strong believer in high school. He had a powerful ministry in his high school. He's making straight A's in high school, and he gets to the end of his senior year, and here's what God tells him to do. I want you to repeat your senior year. Who even knew that's possible? You know, he's got college plans. He's got his life planned out. And God is saying, repeat your senior year. We're not done here. And he did. Who does that? I mean, come on. Halfway through your senior year, you're skipping every other day. You're cutting classes. You've got what's called senioritis. You deserve it. It's owed to you. You're a senior. This is my year to slough off and to ride the gravy train. That's your truth. That's not God's truth. God's thinking, 
What about this? What about we repeat the whole thing? I could see me saying, what about we not? I mean, certainly there's something else I can do for the kingdom outside of my high school. I don't know if you've noticed, God, but I'm one of the oldest people here. And they're looking kind of creepy, the young kids, the freshmen. Can we do this in college? And God might say, well, it depends. Are you following me? Or are you following you? It's a simple question. Who are you following? You know, God is really aware that I want out of senior high school. He's aware. He's not like, you know, Bill, I I had no idea you really didn't like it here anymore. No, he's very aware. And somehow he thinks this is not going to be bad for me. Somehow he thinks this is not going to set me back. Why would he think that? Because he's God. You see, that's the truth we're afraid of, is he will mess with our lives. Your experiences... Without a truth, without a truth to be your compass, your experiences will shape your values and your heart. Your experiences will make you a bigot. They will make you a racist. They will make you judgmental. They will make you greedy. They will make you angry. You could distrust women. You could despise men. You can look at everybody who's in a suit is after the guy who's not in a suit. You can look at everybody who's blue collar is victim, and it's the man who oppresses us. You can look at yourself as a victim every day of your life. All that happens when you don't have a truth that speaks into your experiences. Your weaknesses, your strengths, they will dominate the direction and activity. Your relationships will benefit and nurture and challenge the authority of your life. When I was a youth pastor, I noticed three things. You could have the most on-fire youth, and it doesn't matter until you see this. They get their first job. They have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. They have a driver's license and a car. You see, at 14, without a girlfriend or a boyfriend, without a job, you're limited in just how much you can move out. But when you're 16, you got a car and a driver's license, a job, and a girlfriend or a boyfriend... God moves normally way to the back burner. Now, I say that about youth, and I want to come back and say this. Adults are not different. We're not different. Our truth moves. It changes. 
when I have my girlfriend and, or my new motorcycle, these are all things that I experience, so I can, uh, when, I, when I have these moments, when I was in high school, you know, I had the demise of, I was a machinist on second shift. I made a nickel below top dollar. For a 16-year-old, I made a lot of money. I had a very fast, very cool car. I was popular in school, and I liked it. And I was, it was all I could do to keep up with all my ways of being me, which I won't even go into. And when I came to Christ, it seemed like every time I turned around, God was removing yet one more piece of who I am. You know, this piece and that piece, he's just removing pieces of me. And part of me didn't like it. It made me a little bit afraid because I thought, okay, if I'm not the fast car, I'm not cool, I can't just make my whole life about chasing girls. Um, What do you do with your time? For the first time in my life, I thought about going to college. Other people are going to college. Maybe I should go to college. It never hit my mind until after I became a Christian. Why? Because I made a lot of money, and I had a life that I liked. So we make this truth relative. We shared this verse, Judges 17. It's actually verse 6. In those days, Israel had no king, had no truth, had no moral compass. And all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So other compasses that we use, our feelings, we follow our feelings a lot, but they change. Feelings change. Desire is a compass, but desires are very corrupt. You can desire lots of things. If we said yes to every single desire we ever had, we would have robbed people. We would have committed adultery. We would have done this. We would, I mean, if you just, every desire, if you really entertain it and you go with it, many of us would be in a very bad place today. Experiences. The problem with experiences being a compass is that they're different for everyone. Everyone has different experiences. That gives everybody different truth. And that means that your truth in this season of your life will be different than this one. And one that I really love is science. I want proof to be my compass. But there are gaps. There are things we can't prove. There are things that you can't fix with logic. You can't fix why you love someone and they don't love you back. You can't fix that with logic. You can accept it with logic, but you can't fix it. When somebody's mean to you, even though you're nice to them, you can't fix that with logic. 
when you make straight A's and you do everything real hard and you work hard in school and you do everything right, and then you're in a car wreck and you have mental, you have brain damage and you're learning to walk. A friend of mine, when I was growing up, a star football player, straight-A student. His senior year, he was just getting a ride from his, in the parking lot from his car, from a, a friend's car to his car, and he just sat on the hood, and the guy punched it a little bit, and he flipped off the back. He was in a coma for six weeks. He couldn't walk. He couldn't talk when he woke up. Pretty soon his popularity at school was forgotten. His girlfriend was gone. And everything that he had been was gone. What's his truth? What's his compass? How will he find his way? He found Jesus. Proof, uh, truth that God makes real becomes your truth. It's not another person's truth, it's your truth. That's why when we have truth, we don't act like it needs to be everybody's truth right now, even if it does need to be everybody's truth. It is something you have been empowered with. And we operate in truth. And we allow people to see what truth does in a person's life. The scripture tells us that truth arches beyond this world. That truth carries over into the life to come. That truth is not just about this career, this job, this relationship. This is a truth that will hold you steady. It will provide your direction. Without regret, without fear, you will finish well in this life and the life to come. That's God's guarantee in his truth. That's what he offers you. That's what he offers all of us. I want to view, review a few scriptures, and we're going to move quickly through this. In 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true. It makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. Listen to the fruit of that. Listen to all the benefits that God wants to give you from his truth. And it also prepares you and it equips you to do every good work. The truth needs to be a top pursuit of yours and mine. So often our pursuit is to gray the truth. Well, it says this, but it also says this. We're, we're looking to soften truth. Yeah, but. Well, what if you just took that part out? And if God says, love the people who are persecuting you, pray for them. What about if you just did that? 
I want to skip the next one and um, go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, where Paul is giving counsel to Timothy, and he's telling him, be wise with the truth, Timothy. Don't get into arguments about the truth. Live the truth. Be able to communicate the truth. Let the truth be something that invites people. It isn't there to rebuke people, but it's there to invite people. Do you know that the rebuke happens automatically? The Holy Spirit takes care of the the rebuke. The place where I am comfortable giving a rebuke is when you say you're following Jesus and you're following his truth. And I say I'm following Jesus and I'm following his truth. You say, you want to be a disciple of his, and I say, I want to be a disciple of his. And then we're walking together, and I, I'm, since you know what my plan is, you know what my goal is, you know what my intentions are, now you're at a place where you can say, Bill, I know your truth, and that doesn't look like that fits it, what you're doing right there. That, that seems a little off from your truth, Bill. Don't forget your truth, Bill. Don't forget the anchor of your soul, Bill. Don't forget the compass that has gotten you to where you are. Don't surrender your truth, Bill. You see, that's what I need. That's somebody who loves me right there. Why? Because they're saying, remember where you were going. Remember what has been the call. Remember who you are. And it allows me to go, yes, that's right. Or it allows me to say, no, I, I don't want to go that way. I've had people tell me that. I don't want to go that way anymore. And my question becomes, okay, did your truth change? Has it changed? Have you embraced a new truth, a different truth? No, I haven't. So what you're saying is you just want to rebel against that truth right now. You want to rebel against your identity and God's purpose and his love. Is that what you're saying? If that's what you're saying, I love you. I embrace you. This is not about rejecting you. This is about us being clear about what you're choosing to do. You see, I can do that with people that are disciples of Jesus. But I can't do that on Facebook to 13 of my most intimate friends who have very different views than I do. They have very different truth than I do. And to hold them to my truth is arrogant, isn't it? Even though it's true, it's still arrogant on my part. You see the fine line that we walk? You didn't see Jesus. I mean, he could probably see people going down the street. Oh, They're addicted to this. Oh, they're that. They're that. They're that. He didn't see him going down the street. Dude, you need to quit sleeping with your secretary. Man, you need to knock off the porn. Uh, You need to uh, stop playing with those tarot cards. Uh, You need to stop drinking and you back away from the pipe. I mean, he could have just walked down the street just nailing people, couldn't he? 
what a bad day that would have been, you know? That's where Jesus comes, you duck, right? You don't want him naming it. You don't want him calling it out. So you're walking down the road with your wife. Uh-oh, it's Jesus. You know, let's go this way, dear. Why? That's that new guy. Yeah, I know. That's the new guy. Let's go this way. You know, I'm going to tell you a true story of myself. It's embarrassing. So you think you're going to hear a sin here, but you're not. <clears throat> not this time, anyway. When I first went to the Vineyard Church, the one in Houston, and I'm, I'm watching what's happening. I have a ministry time at the end. I watch what's happening, and I kind of listen. I'm paying attention, and I can see and hear that there are people who are part of the ministry teams who are praying for people. They have an authority of God. I can hear it. I can see it. I can see they walk with God. They terrified me. They terrified me. I would never go get prayer from them. I feel like they would know too much about me. So here's what I did. God listening to me, here's what I did. I mean, I was serious. This is a serious strategy of how to deal with this. So I'm paying attention to ministry people. And, you know, you got some maybe that are new, feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying they didn't seem like they were clicking. I didn't want to go to them for ministry. And you got those that look like they can hit it out of the park every day. They can read your mail. They can talk about your life. And you go, well, I don't want to deal with that either. You know, I don't want that. I want something in the middle. I want somebody who can represent me to God with some sincerity, a little bit of power, but not enough to scare me, not enough to see my soul. So I'm saying, here's what I'm saying. I want the blessing and the power of God, but I don't want it to see me where I'm at and change me. I was afraid of them. I was afraid they would look at me and they would look inside me and they would say, you're divorced. I would run from them. And you know, if you're kind of waiting and you know, you're kind of waiting and there's this team and that team and that's the team you're not going to and you could go to this team. And all of a sudden, these people are finishing up prayer and you're gonna have to go to that team. I'll go to the bathroom. I am not above running. I will run like a scared dog in that moment. I will hide in the bathroom, and I will wait and see. This is, I mean, this was my journey, okay? This was my journey to understand God's love and that God's people love that exact same way. That's how they love. You see, I can go to someone, and if they see something in my soul, it's because God shared it with them. And if he did, it's because he wants to help me with my guilt, my shame, my hurt, my rejection, my pain. God says, that's where you're living your life right now, Bill. Why don't you let me there? That's what truth does. So Paul is telling Timothy, you need how to know how to handle the truth. In uh, 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 18, 
He goes on the same way. Don't do the pious nitpicking. Don't chip away at faith. Uh, instead, I want you to concentrate on doing your best for God. Work you won't be ashamed of. Laying out the truth, plain and simple. Living a godly life. And that words, truth, without action, just creates a poison in your soul. Those are powerful words, aren't they? To let the truth sit there inside you. And to not acknowledge it, to not use it, to not live it. It just becomes a poison in our soul. I want to skip the next slide and go to big picture truth. Um, it's kind of interesting. I'm going to give you three pieces. They all have six qualities to it. And I know that comes out to 666, and I thought that would creep people out. So I did put bullets, and I have another one that I think it's five after that. So, so we're okay. It's 6665. So um, that's for anybody who's, you know, kind of weird and superstitious about 666, which I am not. So somebody asked me if I would take a check for $666 every day, <laughs> every day of my life. <clears throat> the big picture story. And the reason I'm sharing these with you is these are the, these are the components of truth that a hard heart that Satan and the world are going to try to manipulate. And at the same time, these are the components of truth that you take to the world. These, if you want to see what truth do I need to focus on in my life, I'm going to give it to you right here. And then we'll make it a little practical at the end. Mankind's creation, created in, in the image of God, created very good. Never let it go. Hold on to that with everything you've got. It's truth. It's not going anywhere. It's not negotiable, and it's a deal breaker. You were created. You were created in his image, and you're very good. And so is the worst, most vile person you can think of right now. Mankind's fall, where he became estranged from God, it's a part of the truth. If that gets taken away, then you won't need a Savior. If there's not a fall, years ago there was a book came out that said, I'm okay, you're okay. It's not an okay book. I'm not okay. You're not okay. We struggle under the, under the weight of sin and separation from God. There was a fall. We became estranged from God. It's truth. So you see, you have to, you have to, there's right, it introduces a tension right there. I'm made in God's image, I'm very good, and I'm fallen in that condition. Okay? It's still true, but I'm fallen. Those are truth. The third truth, mankind's inability to restore and make himself or herself right again. If you let go of that truth, you lose salvation. You lose the gospel. You lose the very plan of God if you let that go. You know, I don't care what we do about social justice. I don't care what we do about education. I don't care what we do about homelessness and feeding the poor. At the end of the day, 
we will not be able to make ourselves right again. It doesn't mean we don't do those things. It doesn't mean we don't move toward good and right and just. It means that we recognize truth says we can't get there on our own. God's sacrificial love for mankind. You need to know God's motive. When you're in a bad place, when you're making bad choices, when you're screwing up, when you're being an idiot, a fool, rebellious, pick your word. When you're the most disqualified, when you're most disappointed in yourself, you need to know the truth that God pursues you with an unconditional love. That truth needs to be non-negotiable. It needs to be real and non-negotiable. He comes after you with a motivation of love. And when you're rebellious and you're angry and you're rejecting of God, he is pursuing you in an unconditional love. Never let that truth be upended. These are not negotiable Any one of these, if you let them go, what you will find is your salvation begins to falter. Your identity begins to crumble. God begins to crumble as the image in your mind that you're made in. God's plan from the beginning to rescue and save that which has been lost in the fall. You need to know the truth is it was always God's plan to restore what was lost in the fall to restore you, me, creation to himself. And finally, God's plan to empower mankind to participate in the rescue of creation. It's important you get that. We are not leeches on salvation, all right? We're not parasitic on salvation. We become a part of the expression of salvation. We become part of that expression in the world. We become a potent force of salvation. Never let that truth go. In your weakest moment, you are a potent force of salvation. Uh, There's a young lady I'll think of her name in a moment. Johnny Erickson, she's a quadriplegic. On her 18th birthday, uh, or around her 18th birthday, she was playing in the water in a lake or something. She dove in, she hit something, she broke her neck. She's a quadriplegic. Um, She's a powerful speaker for Jesus. She's a powerful believer Uh, She has a powerful ministry. She wrote a book. The book is, When Is It Right to Die? And I I just want to share with you her vantage point on this that I thought was interesting. She said, if I'm in a coma, you'd be better off not pulling the plug on me. Because I assure you, I'm interceding for you. I can tell you that I have uninterrupted quality time with Jesus 24-7. 
I can tell you there are no distractions in my life, and I am interceding for those I know. And I will do that until Jesus comes to get me. Isn't that different? You see how that went from logical, well, what's her quality of life? Well, it's expensive, well, it's that. And well, I don't, I'm not trying to tell you this is not about right to life kind of subject. This is about understanding how God can change how we see things that just seem logically right. If I were in her family, I'd never pull that plug. Now, that's not the condition she's in. But she's speaking from a, from a standpoint that she's been in a coma. I mean, I could see me going in there. Wouldn't it be terrible? I'm going to go into the quadriplegic who's in a coma and say, I have these requests. I have these needs. And as terrible as that may sound, like, you know, don't you think she's got enough problems? Maybe that's her greatest moment. Maybe we're empowering her ministry. And she's before the throne of God, sacrificially. And power and might. Don't let go of your purpose in God's plan. You know, you were not created to be a, a preacher, a pastor, a ball player, a welder, a scaffold builder, a salesman, a clerk. You were designed to walk with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to be a part of changing the world in a reality that is coming. And today, that might be preaching or playing ball or doing electrical work. But it's only things we're doing in the moment because my purpose and my role is to reveal the power, the love, and the hope of Jesus Christ everywhere I go. So you have these non-negotiables that really talk about God's identity, his purpose, his plan, and who we are in that purpose and in that plan. And so that's a big picture piece of non-negotiables. And then the second ones, that's the story. The next piece is the rescue. This is what Jesus says. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I am the only way. To know me is to know God. To see me is to see God. Those are non-negotiables. Jesus is the way. If somebody else feels like they have another way to heaven, it's not true. And, and it's not my arrogance saying that. God said, I am the way. Jesus made that statement. And he invites everybody into that. And we don't sit in judgment over somebody who has a different truth. That's not what we do. We look for ways. We look for opportunities that God gives us to reveal a new truth. But it's really God that reveals it, isn't it? It's really God that reveals a different truth. In the scripture, uh, we're told, hey, be prepared in season and out, to give an account of why you live the way you live. 
That's talking to believers. When people look at you and you're forgiving and you're merciful and you're gracious and you're kind and you're not greedy and you put others in front of you, when you're long-suffering with difficult people, when you do all these things and people go, what's up with you? He says, have an answer. When they're asking you, how and why are you the way you are? He's saying, be ready to talk about me. He says, I will make you who you are, and I will give you opportunities to be who you are in me. And when the opportunity comes, then you can talk about me. When people see who you are, that will be the moment when you can say, well, I just try to do what Jesus did. I try to do the things that I saw in the word that Jesus does. I used to work for a company um, at a break room, like many companies do. The place was always trashed. People, you know, leave everything. And there's all kinds of notes from you know, upper management, you know, clean this out every Friday, blah, blah, blah. Of course, nobody ever does that stuff. And it's always just trashed. Everybody complains about it. And I thought, and I hear this all the time, and I'm in there, and, you know, I'm in the break room, and somebody, oh, you know, so-and-so, they put the sugar in their coffee, and it spill it everywhere, and blah, blah, blah. So everybody is just, it beca- it's a point of contention for everybody in our building. And a thought hit me. I, I'm going to say it was Jesus, but, Bill, why don't you just kind of take on the ministry of keeping this place clean? So a couple of times a day on my break or something, I'd go in there and I'd scrub up the break room, clean everything up, and they spill stuff in the fridge, clean it up. So I said, why are you doing that? That's not your job. You shouldn't be having to clean. You're not everybody's mama here. That's a little note. Your mother does not work here, so please clean up after yourself. You see, it was my chance. It was my chance to say, you know, I just see this as something God would be pleased with. That Jesus would would like this to be a blessing to everyone. Well, you're a better person than me. No, not really. I'm not really a better person. And it began the conversation, and I found out this person used to be a priest. And they had left the priesthood. And it started a whole friendship. It started in the break room. There you go. Clean up people's messes. And you get to talk about Jesus. Jesus declares these things about himself. They're non-negotiables. And then the big picture, as a new citizen, it's the truth becomes your compass. It's a truth about an absolute foundation for character and behavior. We're called to have character and behavior that is like God's. It means we don't manipulate, we don't steal, we don't lie, we don't cheat. We're not greedy, we're not arrogant, we're not full of pride. We don't pick on people. We don't manipulate people. 
It goes down a host of things. These are things that God says, do these things, and then when people ask you about it, have an answer for them. That truth will give you values and priorities. It tells you to prefer others over yourself. It says when somebody asks you to go a mile, go two miles. It, means, it says when somebody borrows something, you know, don't jack them if they don't give it back to you. These just ways of living, isn't it? Isn't it kind of interesting? Jesus says, this is how I am. Follow me. You see why the truth becomes important? You see how illogical it is? I'm going to go up to the line and always put people in front of me. I'm going to always give up the best parking spot. I'm always going to help other people before I help myself. That's how we're told to live. That's the truth. And it's not negotiable. Why? Because that's the only way you're going to be able to talk to somebody about Jesus without being judgmental. The only way that you can talk to somebody about Jesus, the only way you're going to be able to show a different way is for you to be walking that different way and allowing others to see that. So you can't give up the way. It's a reflection of the creator and the savior. It transforms our being. You see, when I do things I don't want to do, and I do them for the cause of the truth, when I give the authority to the truth that I I don't want to, I don't want to go last, I don't want to give up, you know, there's, there's, there's two hamburgers and there's two people and me. And there's only two hamburgers left. And they just got here. And I've been here. And I waited for everybody else to go first. And I'm hungry. They can split one. And Jesus might say, really? Like I fed 5,000, you know, people with some fish and, and some bread and you're going to quibble over half a hamburger. Where are we at on this, Bill? Are you really following me? Are you willing to make a hard decision for me? Or is this really still about you? I want you to stay in high school another year. I want you to give up the hamburger. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to stop doing this. You see, all of a sudden, we're not faced with things that it's about sin or not sin. It's about pleasing the Savior. It's about being a part of God's story. Not something he's having to undo, but something that he's doing. One of the former leaders of the vineyard, he came to Christ. He's been living with his girlfriend, I don't know, two or three years. Um... He came to Christ, she came to Christ, and they said, you know, we really shouldn't be living together. That doesn't please God. That's not a part of his story. So they went, they they separated, they still dated, but they didn't have relations. That's not easy to go from having relations to not having relations. 
It's not easy to be familiar with somebody's body and saying no. Why would you do that? You're already kind of married in the eyes of God anyway, aren't you? It's because we want to be pleasing to the story of God. We want to fit into the narrative of salvation. Don't you want your life to fit into the narrative of salvation? Then it has to look saved. It's not a matter of what I can get away with. Can I sleep with my girlfriend? Yes. Can I sleep with my boyfriend? Yes. Can I step out on my wife? Yes. Can I kill myself? Yes. I can, I can actually do all those things. So where do you draw the line? Do you draw it where you say, this is sin and this isn't? Or do you draw it where it's pleasing God? See, it's the wrong answer. It doesn't mean there aren't sin. There is sin. These things are sin, I'm saying to you. But it says, pleasing God is our motivation to sacrifice sin because it pleases him. It's something I can do to please God. That's pretty big, don't you think? I mean, sometimes I can't even please my wife. You know, you can't please your boss. There are people you can't please. But all of a sudden you find, I can please God. And he will like it. And he'll see it every time. He'll notice it every time. My pleasure to him never gets missed, discounted. He's worthy of me sacrificing a lifestyle I've created for one he has created. That truth as our compass makes us a powerful witness among mankind. That truth empowers his followers to be his agents. I want to stop here. I don't want to stop here. I'm going to stop here. <laughs> 